Here we go. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Your best shout ever. If you're visiting with us today, March the 3rd, we came home to our brand new facility, our brand new kids center, and our brand new church home. And uh, God is very faithful. Last week, I asked you to pray about helping us with our air conditioning units, and we needed $10,000, and the money came in. God spoke to people, so give the Lord a shout, right? So, so our air conditions are taken care of. We appreciate it. They'll be coming this week and being installed here shortly. But I'm excited you're here, and I just want to take a moment to kind of update you on what we've been talking about since we've come home. On the screen, there is a logo that says history comes home. Here's what we've been discussing. From the book of Acts, we have been talking about the historical story of Jesus coming home to our heart. History, Jesus comes home into my life. History of Jesus in the church in Acts chapter 1 and 2 coming home on the corner of Believer's Church and how that plays. We have studied the historical Jesus, meaning we know the stories, we know the red letters, we know his parables, we know all the vacation Bible school and maybe even all the songs, but we also talked about that the historical Jesus is not the goal, it's the resurrected Jesus in my life. That a lot of people know the stories, but the resurrected Jesus is not living in their home, living in their life. And then we took it a step further and began to look at the two sides of the coin for the kingdom of God. There's the organic side, meaning my personal responsibility, not blaming it on anybody else. It's my own thing. It's my heart to God, my relationship with him, my daily communion with him, my repentance, my passion to do his will. And then on the other side is when all of these individuals gather together in what we call a community of people. The church, uh, the way we call it today is a church. Uh, the actual Hebrew word, uh, a Greek word translates out a group or a community of people. So what we've also seen is that there's the organic side, and we've been using that side of the stage for the organic, and then this side for the organized, that gathering, the thing that we call church. What we've deduced from that is that both of them are critical for the mission of the church to be successful. If we don't have people taking personal responsibility to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth, to have a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with God, then the gathering of those believers into a community becomes very weak. And we may gather and still call ourselves church, but we have the religious duty but no power. We do, the, we do the committee thing, the program thing, the production thing, but we lack in power. And so both are very necessary. Both are needed. God never intended you to do life alone. He intended you to be part of a community, but he never intended that community just to be a program. He intended them to be power, but he never intended you to do life alone. He intended you to walk in power. And so that took us to where we've really been holding the last few weeks is that every individual over here who is part of a community called a local church, wherever that would be, Believers, Chapel Hill, Crossroad, Full Turn, you know, the churches that we gather in every week as believers, and we come together 
we have been looking at that the goal is not just to come together to uh, reach sinners. The goal is to come together and be strengthened in faith. It's to hear doctrine. It's to take communion together. It's to build my faith up. Why? Because I'm about to go out into the warfare of the thing we call life. In other words, the believers here who are part of a family and a kingdom with God being their father are now sent out into the earth on their, in our daily jobs, in our Monday through Saturday work, and I'm sent out to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. We call it here, and it's starting to catch on. You will see it when you walk out the door on the sign. It says, own your 50 feet. Because we believe what God has called us here to do is not to try to amass every sinner in Douglasville to come to this meeting today, but what we want to do is to send you out to the masses of people who don't know Jesus, introduce them to Jesus, and then bring them back into the family. I'm not saying that a sinner can't come to a house like this, and somebody who doesn't know Jesus may not come, but I guarantee if they do come, it will be really awkward because we sing songs they don't sing. We use words they don't use. And so it becomes very foreign to them. But when they know you, and this is what we said last week, when you are the attractional model, not the gathering. Yeah, I mean, I love good music and I, you know, I want to have a home here that's great. But the beautiful thing about it is this organizational side needs to be attractive, but also you need to be attractive. Your personal life matters. Because people will know the love of God because of your personal walk with him. And if you're out here just being a jerk and rude and hateful and irritated and mean and frustrated, then what is the point of knowing Jesus if it doesn't even work for you? And so the whole goal of the gospel is the resurrected Jesus wants to work. I want to take us a little deeper now. So we're going to go a little deeper with this thought because a lot of times when we're out here in our 50 feet and things don't go well, my prayers aren't answered. Uh, they tell me to give in an offering, and I do, but I'm not getting anything back. I went over to get prayed for with the elders of the prayer team. You know, we, we, we stationed prayer people all around during communion, and they prayed for me, and I didn't get any better. So I went again, and I, they prayed again, and I still didn't get any better. And all of a sudden, out here in this warfare of life, this thing that's a struggle, man, the devil begins to bombard you. He begins to lie. It doesn't work. The giving doesn't work. The freedom doesn't work. And yet you come back over here and you hear somebody preach it, and we're like, woo, preach it, preach it, preach it. And then I come back out here and go, but man, it just doesn't work for me. It's not, it's not impacting my home. It, it's not changing my life. It, I don't understand, Mark. I don't understand why all the evil, why all the suffering, why all the babies dying, why all the disease, if God's who he says he is. I, man, I'm trying to understand it. I'm trying. You're telling me to give, and I'm giving, but nothing's happening. You're telling me to forgive my enemies, and I do, but I'm still angry. You've got to help me, and so I want to do that today, can I? So Acts chapter 2. I want to take you into a thought that you may never have had before. It's not, it's not like it's a deep revelation, but, but I think it may be a little different stretch for you today in Acts chapter 2, if you will turn there. And I want to stretch you to think differently today. 
I told some people that uh, a few days ago, I said, hey, I want you to bring your jumping shoes Sunday. Because I think what I'm going to share with you is going to make you want to jump. And I don't mean off a cliff. <laughs> I mean jump for joy. I want to preach to you today something that's dear on my heart that I hope when it's over, I hope you're so full of joy. I hope you just want to go out and run. I hope if you're Pentecostal, you'll just run across the front of the room or something. I hope you have that much joy. I hope you just stir it up. I hope you just stand up and stir it. Matter of fact, everybody just stand up with me if you will. Let's practice a little bit. We just go old line Pentecostal. Everybody just grab your broom like this. Just grab your broom. Everybody get a broom in your hand. Ready? Now just say, stir it up. Stir it up. One more time. Stir it up. Now you can sit down. So if there's something you hear today that you like, you just jump up and go stir it up. Right? Derek, you're my cheerleader. Derek's going to stir it up in the back. <laughs> I don't mind you talking back. It helps a brother out, right? You, you talk back all you want. It helps me out. I don't, like, I don't like a dead room. All right. Verse 14, Acts chapter 2. So Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted, Listen carefully. All of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. He's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. These people aren't drunk as some of you are assuming. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. It's much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. I will cause wonders in the heaven above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in his grip. King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he's right beside me. No wonder my heart's glad, and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in a grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, verse 29, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for when he died, he was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future, speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. 
Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he has promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see in here today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, but this is what he said. The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor. Sit at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and both Messiah. Somebody shout amen. amen. Verse 23 is what I want to talk about. Verse 23. But God knew. Everybody look at the TV. We'll just look at it together. Because I don't know what version you're using. This is a new living. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. God knew what would happen. I love the phrase because what I want to talk about is line two, God's prearranged plan. He knew it all along. The Bible will say this, Revelation chapter 13, that from the foundation of the earth, the Lamb of God was to be killed. Before, Listen to this. Before there was a human being on the planet... God had a plan to bring Jesus before there was a human. Do you get that? Before there was an Adam or an Eve, there was this prearranged plan in heaven. Before there was even an earth, when there was nothing but eternal space, there's no earth, there's no planets, there's no heaven, there's nothing but God in the eternal realm. And God in the eternal realm, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, expressed in the being that we called God, look toward the eternal future, which is weird. There should be no past or future in eternity. It just is what it is. But when God said before there was even time, before I even made the planet, before I made Adam and Eve, before they sinned, before there was evil, I already had a prearranged plan that my son, the word of God, would become flesh and would die for sinful humanity. What? There is no humanity. What is flesh? We're spirit. Do you understand God is up here in heaven and as he's crafting the plan, looking down the annals of history and time and he sees the beginning from the end because he's eternal. He sees it all and he looks down and says, and I'll use this carpet, this carpet is the beginning of the thing we call time. It's the beginning of creation. This is the end of creation of what we call time where we will enter into eternal life with God. And God is out here in the pre-realm, the eternal realm. There is no time yet. There is no earth yet. There is no day and night yet. There is no sun and moon. There is no seasons. There are no stars. There's nothing but blank space. The Bible will teach me that it's nothingness. Nothing is there. But God in his prearranged plan, because he's God, looked down and saw from beginning to end. And out of nothing, he made something. And he said unto the something, let there be light. Heaven and earth came into existence. And now God begins this prearranged plan. 
And the weird thing about it, this is the weird thing. People say all the time, why would God make Adam and Eve if he knew they would sin? Because you're thinking God's making Adam and Eve and he's nervous about their sin. God's not thinking Adam and Eve. God's thinking the prearranged plan of the son. And where you look at Adam and Eve and go, why would God create humans to rebel? Because from a human perspective, you're thinking rebellion. But from an eternal perspective, I'm thinking redemption. You see, God sees it differently. We see it in time as it exists. It's rebellion. God sees it in eternity. No, it's the seed of redemption. We see why would God make two people called Adam and Eve knowing that they would sin? Because we look at it from a moment of the problem. In the moment, it looks like a hellacious thing. In the moment, it looks like a ripoff that two humans are going to be put on this planet. But it's not a ripoff. It's a restoration. Because what God is going to do, where you call it wrong, God calls it right. Where you say, I don't understand why does he put those humans humans there because in the moment it appears that Adam and Eve are getting ripped off but because God's eternal he's never stuck in a moment he's looking down here 4,000 years later and he says what you think is a tragedy over here is a testimony what you think is a rebellion over here is a redemption and so the thing it begins to teach me is in these moments I call life I can either look at it from my own in in, in human, uh, infantile, small-minded, foolish perspective. Or I can step out of this and look at it from God. And where we call it chaos, where we look at it and we say, look at all the calamity in Moses's, I mean, Noah's day. I mean, the whole earth wiped off. Such calamity, such chaos. But we're looking at it as chaos and calamity. God's not looking at chaos and calamity. He's looking at Calvary. So I'm looking at rebellion. God is looking at redemption. Cain and Abel come and I'm looking at murder. Oh, God, why? Why would he create me, Cain and Abel? Why, when they're going to rebel? Because you see rebellion, he sees redemption. Cain and Abel, Cain kills Abel. You see murder, God sees a Messiah. Move on over, Noah, chaos and calamity, but God sees Calvary. Do you understand the weird thing of God? This is why God will tell me over here in the New Testament, put on the mind of Christ. I have not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Don't you get stuck in your moment. Don't you get stuck in the chaos. Don't you get stuck in the disease and the tragedy. Don't you let your emotions get called up and then all of a sudden you just quit. Thank God in the middle of the rebellion of, of Adam and Eve. Thank God in the middle of the murder of Cain to Abel. Thank God that Adam and Eve went back into the tent and said, well, man, let's try it again. And out pops little Seth. See, what you have to understand is God's not up here in eternity going, well, what am I going to do now? That dumb couple just blew it. Hey, fellas, let's leave them alone a minute. We need to call all of heaven together. We got to have a, we got to have a brainstorming meeting here. In the, oh, just tell them to meet me in the conference room. 
Well, what happened? What happened, God? What happened? I didn't see this one coming. Those humans I made threw me for a loop. I told them to take dominion. I told them to rule and reign. I told them to multiply and replenish the earth. What'd they do? They blew it. They blew it. Let's just start over. He's not up there having plan B. He looked at all of it. He saw Lucifer come into the garden. Hey, what are you going to do? I'm not going to do anything. It's been prearranged the whole time. Well, don't you know they're going to fall apart and rebel? I know they're rebelling, but I'm not worried about it. Why? Because I'm bringing redemption. Didn't you see Cain just killed Abel? Why are you letting them kill each other? I'm not looking at the killing. I'm looking at Calvary. Well, why did you make these humans? Because this one over here that is the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Calvary, the joy and the hope, he's going to be in the flesh. So I have to create flesh here so I can have flesh here. So what you and I look as a ripoff, God's not looking as a ripoff. It was prearranged. So God has never one time in human history, he has never one time bitten his fingernail worried. Never worried. Wait a minute, now you're going to wipe every human off the planet but eight people? Yeah, why? They're corrupt. Well, well why, why would you do that? I mean, why? You're going to, I mean, I thought you wanted us to, I know, I know, I know what you're doing. I know, I know you think it's just a tragic moment. But what you see here in this little eight people on a boat, everything you see here, the death, the rot, don't fear. For I have got a prearranged plan. So when Babylon comes, when Egypt comes, and they try to kill off God's people, when Pharaoh tries to murder all the babies, heaven's not losing it. Heaven's not suddenly trembling. The whole time it's been prearranged. Well, that seems kind of weird. Like, that seems, that doesn't seem fair. Like, you mean to tell me, Mark, that God's up here manipulating it all? Well, that's where you've misunderstood God. For from a human perspective, God's manipulating everything. We're nothing more than his puppet. We're nothing more than at his fate. Having no will of ourselves or our own, we are nothing more than just puppets of the almighty being out there. And we're just pawns. I, I hear that all the time. We're just pawns in his hand. And he does with us whatever he pleases. As if God's up here in heaven needing to rearrange anything. What? You mean to tell me God is so small that he has to move pawns around like a checker chessboard? You see, what you've done is you've pulled God into your framework. God doesn't do life from your framework. What you must understand about an eternal God is that when the eternal God laid the foundations of the heavens and the eternal God bound it with time and the eternal God placed his word, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that what God did to this thing we call time is he framed it in with the power of his word. 
So to the beginning of time is the word of God. At the end of time is the word of God. To the north, to the south, to the east and the west of time, there is the word of God. But what we've done is we've sucked God into our system. And we say he is either manipulating our system or he needs to work my system. And what God is doing, this is weird, you don't have to believe this, so if you don't, just go eat Mexican, we'll chat about it. But I do want to stretch you to think this way. I'm not asking you to believe what I believe, but I am asking you to think this out. If I'm eternal, and before there was anything called time, people, planets, universe, and I create it all, then therefore, by being eternal, I am not bound by time. I sit above it. And then therefore, because I'm eternal, I see all of time from beginning to end. And the weird thing about it is because I am God and I see from beginning to end, from the first to the last, from the alpha to the omega, I see it all. It, it, now watch, at any one moment, it is now for me. For me, it's present, it's past, or it's future. For God, it's like, it's all right now. I see the past as equally as the future. In other words, I know where you are now, but I see the future and I know where you're going to be. All I'm asking in your where you're going to be is will you trust me in this journey? In other words, he already knows the day you're going to die. He already knows the appointed time. Isaiah chapter 44, end of the verse, 44, it says this, And a king shall arise named Cyrus. In other words, Isaiah prophesied a man's name 150 years before the man showed up. Why? Because the God downloading the information sees 150 years ahead. And so he says to Isaiah, go ahead and prophesy. There's a kid here named Cyrus that's going to rule, and he's going to bless him, and he's going to be a blessing. Go ahead and prophesy that. And Isaiah's like, you really want me to go that deep, like tell the name? Like we're not even there yet. And God's like, listen, I'm already there. I'm already there. It's just as certain as if I say it now as if you see it because I already see what you don't see. I have not seen, ear has not heard the things that I have prepared. Isaiah, prophesy. In Isaiah chapter 44, he begins to prophesy. Chapter 45, verse 1, that there shall arise a king named Cyrus. And 150 years later, boom, the king shows up. Chance? Or an eternal God that sees everything. That knows your beginning from your end. Oh, we hear it preached in sermons. We just don't ever think about it. Jeremiah chapter 1. Before you were even in your mother's belly, I saw you. Oh, that preach is good. But he really did see Jeremiah before he was ever conceived. Because God sees from beginning to end. He doesn't just see Adam. He sees Jesus. He doesn't just see Jesus. He sees you. And he doesn't just see you. He sees everything that will ever come from you. 
because he sees to the end. You say God sees all the way to the end? Yes. Have you never read the book of Revelation? John gives us the insight to the end. He's on an island called Patmos, and God comes down, the angel of the Lord, and says, hey, write these things down. What are you about to do? I'm about to show you how the whole thing's going to play out, man. And we even as believers say that. Oh, now don't you fear, because we know the end of the story. We win. Well, you even say it religiously. We know the end of the story, we win. Well, if you know the end of the story, then you must believe God's outside of time already sees the end of the story. So the whole point is, if it was prearranged, then everything that tried to trip it up along the way didn't bother God a bit. Every harlot that came along... Every prostitute, every bad king, every wicked person, every demonic spirit, every disease, every murder, every abortion, every earthquake, every lie, every stealing, manipulative person that came along, it could not stop the plan of God that was prearranged. It could not stop it. So when Jesus is inserted into the prearranged plan, knowing from the beginning of time that he would come, knowing before time ever was, now you understand when he's in the temple at 12 years old and says, well, I must be about the Father's business. Oh, that sounds so romantic, doesn't it? A little 12-year-old boy about the Father's business. But what he's telling you is, I came down to accomplish a prearranged plan to die to die for the sins of these humans because the prearranged plan was that oh, this is good because the prearranged plan was that every rebellious, sorry, glutton, lustful, perverted, evil, intended person deserves to be loved by me. And that is my prearranged plan. I am going to call every rebellious, every liar, every thief, every prostitute, every hooker, every drunk, every addict. I'm going to bring them unto myself because it is a prearranged plan. And the prearranged plan has nothing to do with your past. It has nothing to do with how terrible you've been because the prearranged plan says, I knew you from the beginning. Before you ever were on the planet and labeled an addict, I knew you. Before you were ever on the planet and labeled a porn addict I knew you before you were ever labeled a homosexual or lesbian I knew you before you were ever labeled someone that had been molested I knew you and my prearranged plan was to bring you freedom and to bring you life and to bring you joy and to bring you hope and to bring you strength and yet I get caught up in my moment I get cut as hurts my heart. I get so caught up in me that I forget he's eternal. I get so caught up in my hurt, so caught up in my pain, so caught up in my brokenness, so caught up in the moment. I get so caught up in my divorce, so caught up in my addiction, so caught up in my label that I can't get out of my moment and let an eternal God bring me life. I, I, I quit letting him be eternal. I want him to come down and be my little genie. I want him just to come into my world and fix everything. 
And what God says, come into your world. I'm above your world. But I want to tell you how much I loved you, Mark. In my prearranged plan, I did come down into your world. In my prearranged plan, I do know your pain because my own son was put to death so you could have the joy that I'm telling you you could have. And to bring into one the fullness of the reconciliation of every broken and hurt person can now be called my own. Oh, that's a beautiful plan. And now all he asks you to do is just will you go out into your eternal time frame and would you just share that plan? There's no amount of brokenness, past pain or hurt, rejection, evil, sorrow or guilt that you could amazingly try to muster up that could stop you from the love of God. Read Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I want to read a couple of passages of scripture and I just want you to listen to the scripture. I'll let the scripture do the talking. Listen to Colossians chapter 1. I want to start reading in verse 15. Christ is the invisible image, is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and He's supreme over all creation. Through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning. He's supreme over all who rise from the dead. He's the first in everything. For God, in all of his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. You ready? Get ready to shout. Somebody's going to have to stir it up. And through him, Jesus Christ, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven. He made peace with everything on earth by the means of Christ's blood that was on the cross. Oh, get ready. And this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. But yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result he has brought you into his presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him with Without a single fault. What? Without a single fault? What are you talking about? Listen to verse 23. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly and don't drift away from it. You get it? There it is. He's already done it. Just don't drift away from it. He's already forgiven you, so stop believing the lies. He's already reconciled your past, so get over it. He already knew the hurt and the pain you would go through. He chose you anyway. He already knew you would lie and steal and manipulate and bargain with him and break every rule you would ever have, and he chose you anyway. And he holds nothing against you. And he just simply says, but you must continue to believe it. And I love this, and stand firm in it. You're there. Your future is already determined. Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, are you getting it? Ephesians 1. 
Listen to this. This is even profound. Verse 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God. Somebody say praise God. For the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. And God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan at the right time. He will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. And furthermore, because we've been united with Christ, we've received an inheritance from God. You ready for this line? For he chose us in advance. Look at the TV. I'm going to go real slow. English 101. And he makes everything... Work out according to his plan. Come on, somebody. You may feel like you're stuck. He's working it out. You may feel like you're going under. He's working it out. You may be in an Adam and Eve moment. Don't give up. He's working it out. You might be in a Cain and Abel moment. Don't give up. He's working it out. You might be in a Noah moment. Don't give up. He's working it out. You might be in a Daniel and a lion's den moment. Don't give up. He's working it out. You may be in a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego moment. Don't give up. He's working it out. You might be in the middle of the worst moment of all, but he's working it out. You just can't get stuck in your moment because in the moment I forget he's working it out. I start thinking he's nowhere around. I can't find him. I don't understand him. I don't get it. He's already told you you'll never get it. For you do not see the way I see. Your eyes aren't my eyes, your ears. So Mark, hold steady. Stand firm in that truth and keep believing it. And when you don't think it's going to work out, it's going to work out. How is it going to work out? I don't know, but it's going to work out. What are we going to do? We've blown it. We've got a fig leaf. I don't know, but hang on. He said there's going to come a foot that's going to crush a head. He's going to work it out. My one boy's dead. My other boy's banished. I don't know, but he's going to work it out. We've been in bondage 480 years under a guy named Pharaoh. I know. Don't worry. He's going to work it out. Do you see every story? Watch. Every story that worked out in the Old Testament is not so you could know it worked out for them. It's so you could know that God always works it out. Because he's pointing to Christ. And for every story that didn't work out, you think it didn't work out because it didn't work out the way you thought it should work out, but God still worked it out. Because even with Pharaoh, who was an evil, mean, dictatorial kind of guy, God said, well, I raised him up for that purpose. 
and I'm working it out. What? And he raises up one and he puts down another. So don't really worry. I'm working it out. Well, why would you make Jesus come right in the middle of Herod killing little babies? Don't worry. I'm working it out. Don't you worry. Well, what if they kill Mary for being a virgin without being... I'm working it out. I will tell you this at age 54. I have had many, many, many a conversation with God. Are you ever going to work it out? You got to hook a brother up. I know you're eternal in all, and I know you're already in my future, but I either would wish you would bring my future to me or go ahead and transport me there. <laughs> Don't you wish God would just transport you right to that victorious future? Well, you can either be a victim or you can be a victor. And he even tells you, I don't transport you to your future. If I transported you to your future, you wouldn't need faith. If I transported you to your glorious future, you wouldn't need to trust me. If I transported your future, then I wouldn't be eternal. Mark, suck it up. Believe the truth. Stand firm because I will work it out. I will work it out. Okay, well then work. All right, final scripture. Romans 8. I told you you'd gonna dance today. If you don't, stay around for sermon two. This is part one. Part two is gonna be good. Romans 8. I know you know this one. If you've been a born again child of the living Father for any length of time, Romans chapter 8. Verse 26. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't even know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that can't be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit's saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmonies with God's will. This is what I'm leading you to, the reason of the baptism. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is in your moment. He's trying to lead you to the victorious will of the Father. And we know, verse 28, this is it, that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. So what are we going to say as humans about these wonderful things? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare his own son but gave him up for his all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. And who will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to lie for us, and he's sitting in a place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for me. He hadn't left you alone. And then it says this, can anything ever separate me from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we're killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. 
and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life nor angels or demons or fears of today or worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody shout. Somebody give him a praise. Every time you say the name Jesus, it is the prearranged plan of God. Every time you say the name Jesus, every demon of hell trembles. Why? Because they know they tried to stop him here. 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 And now everyone who calls on the name of Jesus, every demon of hell knows we can't stop God's plan. All I'm asking you today is will you hold firm? All I'm asking you today is will you keep believing? All I'm asking you today, if a prayer is not answered, will you keep praying? All I'm asking you today is will you not throw in the towel? Will you not blame him? Will you not become critical? Will you not become a jerk and mean? Will you not point your finger at him because he doesn't do life the way you want? Or will you just hold your shoulders high and say, because of Jesus Christ, he will work it out. He will come to my defense. He is my victor. He is my hope. He is my healing. You may say, well, Mark, what about all the people that said that and died anyway? Well, one day he will work it out and the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise and they will be redeemed forever. So even those that died, even those that aren't here anymore, he's going to work it out for them too. You just got to hang in there. You got to hang in there. I wish I could tell you you could just snap a finger. Well, if you could just snap a finger, why would he say stand firm? Why would he say keep believing and don't drift off? Because maybe the Father knows in our temporal moments it's easy to drift off into poor pitiful me. It's easy to drift off into, well, it just is what it is. It's easy to drift off into living by luck fate oh no 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 the Bible says all the promises of God are yes in Jesus would you bow your heads this morning I hope that stirred you up I hope it stirred you up to quit pouting I hope it stirred you up to stand strong in your faith for Jesus the prearranged plan of God was to work it out for you so you could be victorious And oh, right now you may be in a dark moment. Hang in there. He will work it out. Don't you give up faith. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely
Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 